Okay, welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Grisha. Hi, everyone. My name is Grisha. I'm a compulsive overeater, and uh, thanks for inviting me. Wow, a giant meeting. I'm quite nervous. Um, I'm going to keep my eye on Mickey B. He's like the he's like the OA cheerleader. Every time I see him in the square, he's like cheering on. So thank you for that enthusiasm. Um, so, okay, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Um, I try to focus, uh, do it through the lens of the steps, but um, just some statistics. I'm 52. Um, I've been in OA and abstinent for 22 years. Um, I'm a century person. My top weight was uh, 320 pounds. -ish. I think I can share screen and show you. Um, this was me living in Washington, D.C. at one of my higher weights, um, oops, uh, moving to San Francisco after some weight loss, um, but then I gained it back. Um, and then uh, this was me after OA recovery running, I think it was about my fourth marathon. So the program um, really uh, created, a, you know, miracles in my life. And um, you could see what it was like physically. I was obese most of my life. Um, so uh, step one for me was pretty easy because I had a lot of, I had a life of proof. And basically I was a really thin little kid, but when I turned about 12 or 13, I discovered food as a source of comfort. And I had some issues going on. Um, my family moved from a very urban environment to a very rural environment. So it was culture shock. I'm the uh, youngest of six children. And when we lived, um, when we lived in our first house, my siblings and their husbands and wives and children, my nieces and nephews were all around and it was like a big happy family. And we moved, uh, when we moved 20 miles south. Uh, it was very isolating. And so, and also my father had become ill. He was a prisoner of war for three years and he got some kind of a um, POW unknown illness. And um, so he was sick and um, I had a, a pretty bad relationship with my mom. And so I kind of ended up in this rural area um, away from my siblings with a mother I was angry at all the time, a father who was sick and dying. And, um, and I just, you know, I ate over it. And so I woke up in the morning and I ate, 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 and I went to school and my dad would give me money so I could get double lunch at school. Um, I um, would come home at night and just sit in front of the television and eat and eat and eat until dinner time and then eat with my family. And then, you know, just anyway, went on and on. So I became the fat kid in school. Um, I, just developed really deep self-hatred for myself and my body. And, um, you know, life was just really difficult and my teenage years were just awful. I would never want to relive them. Um, well, maybe if I knew now what I, if I knew then what I knew now. Anyway, it's kind of harsh. It was a harsh life. And so um, my dad did die. When, when I graduated, I graduated from high school um, at 17. And, and if I graduated on a day, like I literally moved 
out of my mother's house on Saturday. Um, I moved in with a brother of my, my brother who's nine years older, but he's the closest in age between all my siblings. And we were the, we were the closest emotionally, I guess you would say. And so I moved in with him and his girlfriend. Um, we lived on Capitol Hill. That was another milestone in my powerlessness because I moved into this uh, apartment with them and I was a block from Kentucky Fried Chicken, McDonald's, 7-Eleven, a liquor store, and all the DC gay nightclubs. And so I just rotated through all those places and I ate and I drank and I did drugs and I chain smoked cigarettes and I just became like, so at the end, I was really, um, you know, at my worst, I was drinking and drugging every day, chain smoking three packs a day, you know, over 300 pounds, really depressed. Um, you know, it was a really bad picture. Uh, what happened next was I got sober. So I, um, I got sober in AA and, um, and then over time I decided to live this dream and move to San Francisco. So I moved to San Francisco, um, in between there, you know, like I did a lot of commercial diets. Um, the brother that I mentioned, he and I, we were both about the same weight. People would mistake us as twins. Sometimes, um, we looked alike. We had the same body shape and size and weight, and we would join, you know, a commercial diet plan together and we'd like compete with each other. We'd both lose like 60 or 70 pounds and we'd be all psyched. And then all of a sudden, both of us at the same time would be like, F this, I can't do it. <laughs> and then we'd, you know, both go back together to eating. And, um, and I did it on my own and I tried all these different things. And so um, up and down, up and down, totally powerless over food. Like my thing is if I eat one bite of the wrong thing, I cannot stop. And I started a diet every Sunday night. I started a diet and every Monday morning I was standing in line, 7-Eleven buying a bunch of crap thinking, well, how did I, why am I, I'm, I thought I was on a diet. <laughs> like, I, it was like something possessed me and I just went, I got in line and I got the food and I ate the food and it just went on like that. So, um, totally powerless. Um, I moved to San Francisco and I had, I know what they say, wherever you are, you're there geographic cure doesn't cure it, you know, like all these kind of things. But I still thought, well, you know, if I move to San Francisco and California, it's like nice weather all year. I don't get these like deep, dark winters where I gain 50 pounds in one winter. Um, I'm going to be able to exercise and people eat granola and nuts. And, you know, <laughs> I thought this is going to be great. And so I got here and um, it was difficult. I didn't know anyone. I had to find a job. I had to find an apartment. It was the dot-com boom and I couldn't even find an apartment. Um, and I'd left my entire family, siblings, mothers, you know, everybody back behind in DC. Um, so it was, it was tough, but I did have another program that I started working, you know, I kept working, kept doing fellowship. And so at some point I decided, you know what, I give up. I am fat. I'm from a big boned family and, uh, I give up. I'm just going to eat the way I want to eat. And, um, there's no hope for me. And so I did that. And so what I would be at fellowship after my other program meeting, and I'd be the kind of person where like, I would be, I'd eat a ginormous amount of food. And then um, as soon as I saw you took, you put your fork down, like you were full, I'd be like, Hey, you want me to finish that for you? <laughs> I'd give you my empty plate and take your full, your half full plate and finish your, you know, I'd had, I had no shame supposedly about it. And uh, anyway, my weight started going back up, back up, back up. Well, there was someone in those meetings that had been in OA 
he was relapsed. He had been in OA for five years, had lost 100 pounds, and was in a relapse when he met me. And he said, at some point, he said, hey, look, I know you, you know me, I'm going back to OA, do you want to come? And I said, um, okay, all right. I said, I don't, I don't think it's going to work. Um, actually, in the diet days, I had tried a meeting, an OA meeting. Um, I don't even know how I found it. It was in Virginia. I took the subway to this place in Virginia and went to an OA meeting. It turns out it was a how meeting. And at the time I was kind of like, you know, fluorescent orange hair, alternative kind of person. And I got to this church and it was like uh, mostly ladies holding hands, talking about God and, um, and the gray sheet or whatever it was. <laughs> I was like, I don't know about this. So my, my thought of OA was like, it's not gonna work. But I went with him to this meeting. It was a lifeboat meeting in San Francisco, and it was a big meeting, like 100 people, really, um, really strong service and sponsorship and fellowship, and it was really great. And, um, and that's where step two happened. Like, you know, I never believed it, and then all of a sudden, there it was. Um, it was, uh, there was some proof right there. There were people that were just like me, who ate like me, who lived like I did, but who were um, relieved from the compulsion of, of compulsive eating and had you know, maintained abstinence and physical recovery and, and had emotional and spiritual recovery. And so um, step two was, uh, it happened that night for me, I think, you know, like, I don't know, on some level it happened to, for me. I wanted to go back in my 12 and 12 and just, read a couple of things that were that are really important for me, um, which is for step one, we are encouraged to take a look at our compulsive eating, obesity, and the self-destructive things that we have done to avoid obesity, the dieting, starving, over-exercising, purging. Once we have honestly examined our histories, we can deny it no longer. Our eating and our attitudes toward food are not normal. We have this disease. I fully accept I have this disease. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm never someone who, I've never, thank God, I've never had this idea like, oh, maybe I could have just one. Maybe I could just have a bite of that. I don't want just one. I don't want just a bite of that. So if I go out, I'm, you know, it's like, it's like guns blazing. So, um, and then step two, um, coming into the rooms, it's, um, I like this where it says in, the 12 and 12, coming to believe was something that happened as we began taking actions, which others told us had worked for them. And that's been my experience. Um, I have to say, like, kind of straddling step two and three for me, uh, I had a hard time with the God concept, and I still do, actually. It's one of my, it's one of the things I struggle with the most still after 30 years in 12-step recovery and 22 years in OA and abstinent. Um, I was raised uh, in a Catholic tradition. My mom uh, was very conservative and devout, and but yet, and she made she made my father take us all to church, but she didn't go. And I always thought that was a little strange. She said she would stay and watch it on television, but um, so we'd go to te we'd go to church, and for me, it just didn't give me anything. It was something I dreaded, and it was something I didn't really appreciate. And then sometimes my dad, who was an alcoholic, he would he knew how much I didn't like it. He'd be like, well, and I had a niece who was close to me in age, actually. We were more like cousins in age. So um, sometimes he'd say, hey, I know you don't want to go. Let's let's go to the KPI. That was his favorite bar, the King's Parlor Inn. So we'd go to the KPI, and he would sit at the bar and drink with his friends and smoke cigarettes. And then me and my niece would be over 
playing pinball and drinking sodas and eating potato chips and playing the jukebox and having a grand old time. And then we just had to keep the secret. So when we got home, <laughs> thank you, Mickey. Like <laughs> when we got home, it was like, I don't know. I, I was very confused about this whole religion thing. And it really tainted, um, it really tainted me for, uh, for like spiritual growth. Um, but I can tell you that when I walked into OA the first time and I saw people staying abstinent, you know, and then when I was able to stay abstinent, it's like in retrospect, I come to believe, like I take actions, just like it said in that book, I do things, holy moly, I'm able to do it. There must be a higher power. It's not me. I didn't, I couldn't do this. So 30 years in my life, I could not, you know, eat responsibly. <clears throat> I could not have physical, I couldn't be at a normal body weight. I was obese. I was, I was hurting and killing myself with food. So the fact that I was then able to in OA be, came became proof for me that there's a higher power so i did start to come to believe and um and then the third step for me um controversial you know if you have a if you have a higher power that really brings you comfort and grace i'm very envious of you i really want that um i heard it at an oa convention a speaker once said i'm not someone who finds comfort in god and that, I wrote it down and I was like, that is my story. Like, I don't find comfort in God. I don't, there's, I wish I did, but I don't, not, I, you know, I see people in the program who talk about their higher power and this grace washes over them. Tears come to their eyes. They have spiritual experiences. For me, it's like a dial tone. There's nothing there. Um, but that doesn't mean I cannot turn it over. Um, and basically, um, in step three, some of the things it says is uh, we must now adopt a new and unfamiliar way of thinking and acting on life. From now on, we let go of our preconceived notions about what is right for us. When faced with choices, we earnestly seek guidance from our higher power. And when that guidance comes, we act on it. So for me, my higher power at the time had to be OA because in OA, I could do what I couldn't do alone. Our primary purpose, it says in step three, is to abstain from comp eating compulsively. And we know that in order to do so, we need help. Um, we have found that we give up our self-will regarding food and completely turn our lives over to our higher power. We receive all kinds of guidance. Um, we ask and we receive first the willingness, then the ability. We can count on it without fail. We don't panic. Instead, we quietly reaffirm our personal guidelines and ask our higher power to help. So for step three, for me, like the first thing to, for me to do was to get a food plan. Um, and so I asked my friend who I, the, only, the one friend I knew in OA, I got a food plan. He was gray sheet and, uh, he ate no sugar, flour, grain, starchy vegetables or anything. And I was like, Whoa, I can, uh, that sounds really intense for me. I don't think I can manage that. So I set my, I came up with my own food plan, which was just three meals a day with nothing in between and no sugar. And one day at a time, one meal at a time, because I couldn't think about a whole day. I just had to do one meal at a time. I stuck with that food plan. Um, I didn't think I ate that much sugar until I started reading the ingredients on everything. <laughs> it's like, wow, sugar's in everything, and it's in many different forms. Um, you have to be very careful because it's a rose by any other name, sugar by any other name. <laughs> so um, I stuck to that food plan for a couple of days, and then it was about three or four days in, I was abstinent, and I came back to work from my abstinent lunch and I sat down in my cube and someone had brought me a giant slab of uh, German chocolate cake. Um, I worked in finance and we had these great client meetings where we put 
just great spread of beautiful food, gourmet stuff out for our clients. And of course the clients would never eat. They were talking and doing business. And so I would always, I was known as the conference room cleaner. So um, people really looked out for me <laughs> as a compulsive eater. They brought me lots of treats. So here was this treat in my cubby and here I was and he, all the tapes went back. Okay, I knew I couldn't do this. It's only been three days. Oh my God, somebody was so nice to bring me this. Oh, it's my favorite. F it, I can't do this. See, I can't do this. Like I just, I went there, right? But then the higher power, whatever it is, OA, I knew one person in OA and I was willing to call him. And I called him up and said, there is a cake in my cube. He said, okay, put me on hold, take it in the kitchen, put it in the trash, squirt dish soap on it in the trash so you don't eat it out of the, the trash later. He said, go do it. So I put him on hold. <laughs> I did exactly what he said. And I came back and he said, you're abstinent. Have a nice day. And, um, and that was a turning point in my recovery because I realized like I can stay abstinent. Like I have to do, I have to be willing to do something else besides pick up the fork. I have to be willing. That's where I need willingness. Um, and I always, I, at that, in those days, I often, I still do, I guess, say what I call the half-assed willingness prayer, which is like, I ask for willingness to do something I don't really want to do. Like when I asked to give up sugar, I didn't really want to give it up. I just wanted to give up fat. Um, so being fat, I mean. So uh, anyway, after that, um, and somewhere along there, I changed my my language. So I don't say I can't be abstinent. I never say that. I can't. I say I won't. It's about won't. It's about will. It's about am I willing to be abstinent or not? Am I willing to have one more abstinent meal or not? Am I willing to pick up the phone instead of food or not? Am I willing to have you lock me in the trunk of your car between meals if that's what it takes not to eat? You know, so I just, uh, I was really, I, and I also did what I knew you had to do in the program. I got a sponsor. I started going to tons of OA meetings. I put my AA meetings on the back burner for a little while. Um, I, um, I picked up service co commitments. Um, I joined intergroup and I became one of these like self-righteous new people that thinks they can fix everything broken in intergroup. <laughs> um, like I just did all this action, 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 action. And, um, and I stayed abstinent one day at a time. And about a year into that abstinence, into that food plan, I had another sort of milestone for me, which was I got more honest about my food. I realized that um, for me, the same way that sugar is like an alcoholic food, so are flour and grains and starchy vegetables, you know, high sugar fruits, things like that. So um, I had to do the half-ass willingness prayer. I talked to my sponsor. I wrote down that I was going to try this new kind of abstinence that other people were doing, but I had no faith whatever that I could do it, that I could manage it. And that if I didn't, if I did have those substances, as long as I didn't do sugar and I stayed on my, you know, sort of baseline thing, that I was still abstinent. And um, so I did that. I left that morning, the meeting after talking to my sponsor and I went to breakfast at this place in the Castro Welcome Home, a little diner, a little, you know, greasy diner, just not there anymore. I said to the waiter, I can't have potatoes or toast. Could I have um, some sliced fruit or something? And he said, mm, we don't have that. Um, we don't have any fresh fruit, really. Uh, we have a banana, maybe. Or, I said, well, never mind. 
And it was like, right, it was like back in that cubby with the sugar and the cake, you know, I was like, I, I can't do it. See, there's no way. And um, I said, all right, I'll just take the whatever, potatoes, toast, go back to the normal um, baseline. And he left, but he came back and he said, we have um, tomatoes and cottage cheese. Could that work? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I guess, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, it was like a little miracle. And so that was my first meal without sugar, flour, grains, and starchy vegetables. And um, and then here's the thing, like once I once I have an abstinent meal like that, then it's a lie to say I can't do it because I did it. It's back to can't or won't, can't or won't. Am I gonna, am I willing or not? And so one meal at a time, I was willing to let go of all those substances and I just started eating produce and protein. And that's really what I, that's what I eat today, produce and protein. And, um, and step three, every time I eat, it has to be my willingness to, to eat on my food plan. And if I, if I take back my will, I go back to morbid obesity and um, an alcoholic food eating. So um, then life really started to change a lot. The first year I lost 20 pounds, 25 pounds or something in OA. And I was very frustrated by that. I could have done that on Atkins in a weekend. Um, so I had to kind of let go. And my sponsor just kept saying, look, you're on a losing abstinence. It's a slow thing. Just keep coming back. You know. And I, so anyway, after, when I changed my food plan, eventually I was able to commit to that full time. And, um, and I got, uh, I lost a hundred more pounds, poof, they just fell off. People at work were saying, you need new pants, you know, like, and that friend of mine who 12 stepped me was ahead of me, you know, about 60 pounds. He would give me when I, when I got too big, too small for my 48 waist, he would give me his 46s. And then I'd get too small, too big for, too small for that. He'd give me his 44s and his 42s. And so we, you know, I sort of had this clothing exchange going on, which was really perfect for me until I got down to a 34, which is where I am today. And um, I could shop for my own clothes. There was also a terrifying moment when my brother, the one that I mentioned who we competed for clothing sizes, I got a FedEx box from him and I opened it and it was all of his triple X shirts and a note saying, look, I'm on this great diet. I'm, I don't need these anymore. You can have them. It was kind of his letting go. And he hadn't seen me in a year and a half. So it was like, oh, <laughs> and I called my sponsor and I was like, I have the same feeling about all the clothes in my closet. Like, I don't, I'm afraid to let go of these because I know I'm going to go back to 300 pounds. I know I'm going to get, I need a 50 inch waist again. Like, so I, um, 10 left. minutes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. That went fast. Sorry. Um, I better get on with the steps anyway. So I took all that stuff to goodwill and I let it go and I never had to look back. Um, I do want to keep going on the steps. Um, step four and five, uh, really important in my recovery. I had done a fourth and fifth step in another program and I was able to really tease out the patterns in my life. I thought I was a really broken, destructive, like unfixable person, but I found that no, there are these patterns you need to work on. These are the same character defects repeatedly causing grief in your life. So if you work on those, your life will get better. And I had a sponsor who added to my list. So 22 character defects. My sponsor helped me see my most glaring, which is self-righteous indignation and unrealistic expectations of myself and everyone else. And, um, and so with that list, I did what I think is really some of the most important step work I did in, um, in OA. I had a sponsor who um, 
for step six, I had to take all those defects from step four and five and answer the three questions in the 12 and 12. The first question is we ask ourselves, what is it doing for us? Um, like, how did that character defect help me in the past? How did it save me? How did it save my life? Then number two is how did that defect outlive its usefulness? And now is it, how is it hurting me? And then the third question is actually in step seven, but it, it's basically, can we visualize ourselves as people imagining what it would be like if we were if we were willing to have that defect lifted like how would we have to behave if we if it was if it were lifted and oh wow i came out of that six step work with a roadmap for my life if i want to gossip here's what i'll get out of it here's what I'll, here's the good i'll get out of it here's the bad i'll get out of it if i really want it lifted here's what i'll do if i you know self you know self-righteous indignation in this instance i can either do this or i can do this or i can do this you know like i had this really clear roadmap of how I could live my life if I wanted to live it according to spiritual principles and not, um, you know, I always had a, I had a sponsor who said, you might not know what God is or what God's will is, but you probably know what it isn't. <laughs> so back away from that. So I know like no higher power in the universe wants me to be 320 pounds, you know, asthma, sick, obsessed with food, isolating, depressed, morbidly obese. Nobody wants that for me. So I got to do what I have to do to back away from that. Um, I had, uh, and then step seven, I had to take the seven step prayer and just have a blank and then fill in that blank. I had to say the seven step prayer for every defect of character, fill in the blank. Please remove from me the, de the character defect of fill in the blank, say the whole prayer on my knees, humbly, uh, somewhere spiritual, which is a funny story that I don't have time to tell. Um, the eighth step, I had a lot of people that I harmed in my life. I had already made a bunch of amends, but the one number one on my list um, was my mom. And I felt really, um, uh, I still had a lot of anger and resentment toward her. But during my OA 12 step work, I had this um, awakening around my mom. I realized I was 40, so I was 10 years into OA recovery, working doing step work. And I realized that my mom, when she was 40, my age at that time, she had six children, me as a newborn. She uh, had to work full time. Uh, she had a daughter who was pregnant in high school and dropped out. She had a daughter who was working at the Playboy Bunny Club in Baltimore. She had a, a son who was at Woodstock getting high. Um, she had me who was, you know, still nursing. And my dad was an alcoholic, just really intense. I was like, my, my heart burst open with compassion for my mother all of a sudden. I was like, whoa, no wonder, like you're a human and oh my God. So I started the amends process with her and that took the form of writing her a letter every day. I got her a tear off calendar um, of that cartoon character Maxine with the cigarette, like a real sassy lady. And I would tear off the cartoon and write on the back and mail it to her with like these little stickers all over the thing. And anyway, she, she loved it. She called it her mama letters because I would address it to mama. And um, and it really healed our relationship. And I went back home for a summer and lived in D.C. and helped her get her life, uh, her end of life stuff together. And anyway, our relationship really healed. And I really appreciate it. She died about eight years ago. And our relationship was really healthy and loving and, um, and good. So eight and nine step. Um, I think I have five more minutes or less. Um, so the ninth the the last ninth step i did was one that i put off it was a financial amends to a boss and i don't know why i put it off i just don't know why i put it off and i did and he died of cancer 
And what I ended up having to do was call his wife and find out an organization that he really cared a lot about. And I would donate the money back to that in payments, which I did. And it was an, it was an organization that I would never give money to in a million years because of their political thing. But it was his, it was the amends to him. So if I had, a, if I hadn't waited, I could have made a better amends for myself. Um, in the last few minutes, step 10 became a really important step for me. Uh, I had a sponsor who uh, made me do it a sp very specific way. I had to hand write because writing with it, with when you're writing your mind slows to the speed of the pen moving across the page she would say and so i would hand write the third step prayer all my anger fear resentment just get it barf it all out and then at the end write the seventh step prayer and then i had to call her every morning and read her what i wrote and i did that for a solid year every day or every weekday and um what happens is you get out of vagueness you no longer you don't, I know why I don't like my job. I know why I'm angry at this person. I know why I'm not speaking to that person. All this stuff, it's like, it becomes very clear what what's wrong and what I have to do to fix it. And then um, I have to take the action to fix it. So in that year, I asked for, I changed companies. I changed uh, positions in the company. I um, quit the company. I went back to school. I changed careers. Um, I started dating. I had never, you know, living most of my life as a morbidly obese person with body shame and self-hatred I never dated so then I dated I jokingly say I dated 90 men in 90 days and um, got over the the fear of dating physical intimacy and had a lot of it and then eventually got into a really loving long-term relationship with someone and you know just so much changed when I was doing the 10 step that way and then as things got really great, I stopped doing my 10 step every day. I uh, call my sponsor, be like, oh, I didn't write last night. And at some point she fired me. She's like, you know what? If you're not willing to do the work and keep doing it, then I'm not willing to watch you be in pain. So, uh, you know, that was really difficult. I cried, I had to get a new sponsor. I learned a lesson. <laughs> um, when I lived in DC for the summer, I met another woman in OA who had this specific uh, 10 step format, the A E I O U. A for abstinence, you write down what you ate. E is exercise, if any. I for things that I did that were good for myself. O, good things that I did for others today. U for underlying feelings throughout the day. Y, why am I grateful? Um, and so I would do that every day and exchange it with some program friends. And that was also really helpful to keep out of vagueness. I have I can get really vague about what's going on in my life. And so as long as I keep it clear through a daily 10 step, um, I can also come up with positive solutions. Um, and then the 11th step, because of my struggle with higher power stuff, uh, in Al-Anon, another program I took on after a while, they say, if you just read the daily meditation book you're doing, that's, that can be your prayer. And I was like, oh, I can, that's easy to roll with. So I would just, I read, I read daily med five daily meditation books because I do it. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Um, five daily readers from different 12-step programs. And then I set a timer and um, I use Insight Timer, this app, so I can keep track of how many days I've consecutively meditated. And I can, it's a social aspect. And there are some guided meditations that are great. So um that's been about three or four years now that i've really had a consistent meditation practice and also you know it's subtle but so many things have changed and for the improve and i think of program life and program like the stock market like there are some real like peaks and valleys 
but over time it actually kind of keeps going up it keeps getting better for me so i i really appreciate that and i i give all the away i give all the credit to away and and aa and alan on 12 step just a 12 step universe like how blessed are we to have this and um and the 12 step is of course i share what worked for me and I hope that some newcomer got some little nugget that helps them. Like I got a million nuggets from other people speaking. So thanks for asking me to share. Thanks for being um, a really big, strong meeting and um, bringing the message to newcomers and keeping, keeping each other abstinent. Thank you. Tradition, the LA